Hello and welcome to the 10th episode of the FBR cast. This week I'm joined by acclaimed fantasy author Ian Irvine. Hi everyone and welcome to Fantasy Book Review, um, the interview podcast and I'm here today with Australian author Ian Irvine. Hi everybody. So I guess first of all, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and um, your career to date as a fantasy author? Um, well, I guess the, first of all, I never really uh, began with the intention of becoming a writer. I was always interested in science at school, and um, and I sort of went to university and studied science, and uh, did research in actually in pollution in the bottom of Sydney Harbour, of which uh, we have uh, world class amounts. I'm pleased to report, <laughs> and um, and for the that was like 1980. Finished my PhD, and uh, so for the last 30 years I've been doing. Um, mainly doing that kind of consulting work, sort of in Australia, Asia, Pacific region. And, uh, but 25 years ago, uh, in fact, 25 years ago, like in September, I started writing. And I've been interested in fantasy for a long time. Uh, I've been reading it, uh, well, I started reading it at the beginning of the 70s, and I've, I've read just about everything that was being published um, at that period, which actually you could do back then because um, it was hundreds of books rather than uh, tens of thousands of books. And uh, I'd always been interested in English uh, literature and writing, and, and uh, but it wasn't um, really until 1987 that I actually started writing. So, uh, so I've been writing for 25 years, but um, as you know, it takes a long time to get published. And uh, the first series that I got published, um, The View from the Mirror, which is... Uh, been published in a lot of countries around the world and had, had um, a certain degree of success. I actually spent 12 years writing that and rewriting it over and over and over again. And some writers sort of write write a book, stick it in a drawer, write another book, stick it in a drawer, and they do that for years, and, and that's their writing apprenticeship, where it was just me. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, um, that was my writing apprenticeship, uh, just writing that quartet of books over and over again, and uh, like I think I did 20 odd drafts of the first book, and um, and that was accepted for publication in Australia by Penguin in 1996, and um, so by which time all the books were sort of written to a fairly high standard. So uh, and that and pub for first books were published in 98, and that uh, really began my professional writing career because they had a, a degree of success early on and were published in the UK and US and various translations. So around about that time, about the year 2000 actually, I became a, a supposedly a professional writer, although I've, uh, I have my own little consulting company doing my scientific work and um, I've never given that up. So I, I actually have one and a half jobs. So it took you... That many years to get uh, View from the Mirror published, uh, one of the things I noticed was that you've had, what, 28 novels published in the space of the 14 years since that first publication. So I suppose after a um, long apprenticeship, you started to become a fairly prolific sort of writer. 
I, oh. I, I guess that's correct, yeah. If, if, um, At least to, compared to some of the other writers that uh, we're seeing who are putting who one was, out. Yeah, names who shall not be mentioned. <laughs> uh, yes, I, well, I, I spend a lot of time writing, actually. I love writing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's hard work, but at the same time, it doesn't seem like work to me, so I love doing it. And um, especially now that our kids are grown up, um, they have a lot more um, time not driving kids to soccer and um, all the other things you do when you've got um, young family. So I have a lot more time to write. But uh, to be fair, 12 of those books, of those 28 books, were um, children's books, so they're not nearly as big as these uh, gigantic uh, epic fantasies that um, I'm sort of most well-known for. But yes, I suppose I am fairly prolific. Yeah, um, so have you ever found that it was hard for the words to come at any point during this time, or have you been able to just consistently write on call whenever you've needed to, to uh, keep putting out these books on time year after year? Uh, well, I wouldn't say it's easy. I've never had writer's book, um, and I suppose maybe because I, I sort of waited until my mid-30s before I started writing, I guess I sort of felt I had a lot of books that I wanted wanted to write. Uh, and I often feel that what I'm writing is um, absolute pathetic rubbish. And uh, But I guess, um, <laughs> no, as Hemingway said, uh, and, um, uh, the first draft of everything is crap. I didn't actually say crap, but uh, you get the message. And uh, I... I often struggle with my writing. I usually think think my first drafts are terrible, but yes, I I, I basically I treat my writing as a job. I, I go to my office uh, where I am now every morning at um, eight o'clock or seven o'clock, or um, you know, if I'm working on the first draft, which I like to write full bore, um, I often start at five five o'clock in the morning and just uh, go through long days. But um, yeah, it is hard work, but. Um, I still have stories to tell. Yeah, so do you write a lot of drafts? Like you mentioned 20 drafts for um, View from the Mirror. Are you still at that level of drafting or have you managed to cut it down? I've learned a few things over the years, but I still do quite a lot of drafts. Uh, for instance, um, Vengeance, uh, I did 10 drafts. That's more than I usually do these days, but the first it's the first book of a new trilogy the Tainted Realm, which isn't set in any of the worlds that I've ever written in before. And the first book of a new series usually takes as much work as all the other books put together, uh, world building and creating characters and, and working out what's actually going to work in that uh, in that world. Um, uh, Rebellion, the second book, um, I think I did six drafts. Six, six or seven drafts would be fairly typical. But... Um, I also sort of write fairly fast. I like to write my first draft really fast and um, and then edit it into shape. Yeah. I suppose now that you've mentioned it, um, The Tainted Realms is the new trilogy with Vengeance being the first one, Rebellion coming out, at least in Australia, a couple of weeks ago, I think. I saw That's it on the shelves. Yeah. And um, Justice, the third book, um, due out sometime early next year, I believe. Um, um <coughs> Uh, Rebellion uh, is uh, due out in the UK and US uh, in March next year because um, the, the books always come out in Australia first for uh, the reasons to do with territorial copyright. Uh, Justice will be out this time next year in Australia and um, March of 2014 in the UK and US. 
So it's set in a new world. It's not in the three worlds or um, any of the other worlds that you've written that you've written about before. Um, what can you tell us about it? Is this planned to be like a standalone trilogy, or is this the start of another you know, big set of series similar to your three worlds cycle? Presently, it's a standalone trilogy. Uh, it doesn't have any relation that I have yet identified to um, the, the three worlds or other series I've written. That's not to say one that might, might not develop in the future, but it's not my intention for it to be related. When I say it's a standalone trilogy, I suspect that in, in um, years to come, I will want to write more in this world, assuming there's anything left, left of it once I've finished with it. Which is, um, and sort of, I'm actually in the, um, the detailed planning of uh, justice at the moment. Uh, these days I do very detailed plans for my books, uh, just not the way I used to write. Anyway, sorry, you asked me um, about the world. This is uh, a, a much smaller compass. It's a world at the, uh, it's a, an island nation at the far side of the world, sort of, a, now you can think of it as around about the same size as the North Island of New Zealand or, or, um, the sort of main island of Japan. So it's not a big country. Um, it's completely isolated because, um, ice is sort of covering sort of most of the rest of the world. And the reason this, this land isn't, isn't, uh, covered by ice is because it's so incredibly volcanic. Um, it erupts all the time. There's lots of heat flowing up, but that's. But I digress. The story is um, the the key part of the story begins with Tali, who was a slave in an underground realm called Sithon, and um, her her mother and her are trying to escape, um, but they are betrayed by the person who is helping them to escape. Her mother is killed, and something, some odd object is gouged out of her head. And this, so Dali witnesses this sort of brutal murder at the age of eight, which of course scars her for the rest of her life. And um, she has an unquenchable thirst for vengeance. She vows to get revenge on the people who killed her mother, which uh, relates to the, uh, the first book, Vengeance, although it's not only she who is wanting vengeance, as it turns out. So um, she then, once she grows up, she realised that the people who killed her mother are also coming for her for the same reason, what's growing inside her head. And uh, not only now does she need to escape to um, get revenge on the people who killed her mother, but she's got to escape, otherwise she's going to die the same way. And that's that's the uh, that's how the book begins. Yeah, um, I'm I'm about a third of the way through Vengeance at the moment. One of the things that I've noticed reading it, same as when I read View from the Mirror, is that you have quite a lot of detail in your world building and there's a lot of um, very scientific reasoning behind uh, a lot of the decisions that you make. Is this um, just part of your occupation, um, being a professional scientist, uh, influencing your work, or is it the way that you like to write and the way that you think it comes across best? It probably um, it probably does come from my scientific training and scientific background. But having said that, I think um, quite a few uh, fantasy authors create very detailed, logical, and consistent worlds. For instance, um, Tad Williams, whose uh, whose fantasy novels are 
constructed in a staggering amount of detail, or George R. R. Martin for that matter. Uh, there's a huge amount of, of, of detail in the, uh, the worlds they create. Uh, undoubtedly, it does come from my scientific background, but also uh, I think in the creation of a fantasy world, they, it has it, the world, even though it's you know, there's magic and all kinds of other um, psychic, psychic or other phenomena, the, the world itself, self, the rules governing that world have to be logical and consistent. Otherwise, it will it will seem it, it will seem fake to to some readers. In fact, maybe a lot of readers. So that's. But I suppose I mainly do it to satisfy myself that, that this world is authentic. Yeah. Um. Do you do you ever find yourself wanting to? send a message or relate it to real-world issues that we're having at the moment, um, like looking at things like global warming or pollution or anything like that? Do you find that you know, your work in that field, you want to tell a similar sort of message with your fantasy work, or are you able to distinguish them? Um, yeah. Yes, very definitely. Uh, no, I, I, um, I don't want to tell any, to um, push any barrows with my fantasy models. And if I sort of thought I was... I would sort of edit that out in the rewriting uh, for another number of reasons. One is that I see myself as a storyteller, and I think pushing uh, some kind of personal bar- barrow is inimical to good storytelling. And I, and I think people are very adept at picking up, picking it up where the author starts lecturing to them. And um, and, and I can give you an example of that um, in Philip Pullman's uh, trilogy, uh, which begins uh, with. But Northern Lights, Northern Lights is an absolutely fantastic book. It's one of the best fantasy novels I've ever read. And the second book uh, was also good, but the third one, who the name is discussing at the moment, I felt was seriously marred by its, um, you know, sort of, the author pushing his um, anti-Christianity or anti-Catholic church barrow very heavily. And uh, I, mean, I, don't, I don't have any particular views either way about that, but, but I felt that that um, that undermined the credibility of that story for me. And it was a great story, but it was undermined because I could. It, it, it sort of felt very obvious that the author was pushing his own personal beliefs in the story rather than just being a storyteller. Yeah, I suppose the issue kind of takes centre stage in that instead of the characters and the story and the things that you really want to take centre stage. Yeah, but but just, just having said that, uh, it's a it's a good question actually because I have written yeah. also written three eco thrillers about um, about uh, sort of climate change, um, the set in our world uh, in in the near future, and uh, there's a very book different books to my fantasy novels. The first one's called The Last Albatross, and this, this the three books are related, but they're although they're set um, quite a few years apart, uh, and in that I People have often said you're, you're sort of pushing, you know, your, um, your sort of interest in climate change and, and, and global warming and so forth. But I wasn't really, but I, it's something that I'm sort of interested in scientifically. And it seemed to me that a world of the future where the world has changed so dramatically because of, of profound climate change offered fascinating stories and a fascinating world to set stories in. For instance, so um, don't grave on too long about this, but for instance, if you, as you know, global warming could lead to um, ice cap melting, um, Greenland or, or whatever, uh, if that raises sea levels by five or six metres, raising sea levels by five or six metres is going to flood out probably two million addresses in Australia alone, 
and imagine how many people we flooded out in Bangladesh and you know, all kinds of other places. So it, it uh, and if you think about, uh, say, the, the the political effects of um, the refugee crisis that we've had in Australia, boat people, imagine that going on through the whole world with hundreds of millions of refugees sort of flooding into the West. And uh, I'm not thinking about that as a as a political issue so much as an economic issue, issue. And sort of imagining how that would change the world, how it must change the world. So, but anyway, that's a little aside. So I have certainly drilled on my scientific knowledge a fair bit for those stories, but I really wasn't pushing a barrow saying, you know, we've got to do something about climate change or, or you know, climate change is nonsense and we should ignore it. It was just a great setting for stories. Excellent. Um... I want to uh, take a little bit of a different tact here um, and talk a little about writing and a little bit of the craft. And um, I've been reading a lot of uh, new authors lately. One of the things that I've picked up from them is they write with a very informal style of language, a very colloquial and familiar, very modern way of uh, writing, which is which is very different from a lot of the fantasy that I grew up reading. And then when... I received uh, Vengeance and I started reading that and it was like I was getting back into those old old school styles of fantasy that I used to always read. It was it was almost like it was a completely new style to me because it was so formal and well crafted compared to this informal language that I've been reading a lot recently. Um, there is a question here, I'm, I promise. I guess what I've found is that the new authors are calling it um or they're they're writing these things under the banner of accessibility and um i think there's a argument to be had here about accessibility versus authenticity because i don't i don't know whether you can say they're mutually exclusive or not um can you write an accessible book and make it authentic as well or can you write a book that's got that layer of authenticity and still be accessible I guess the reason I bring this up was uh, with Vengeance, the first 50 pages, because I hadn't read anything like it in so long, I found it really, really difficult to readjust to um, that old way of um, writing. Um, now that I'm uh, 150 pages in, it's I'm absolutely flying through it. But you think it's something that's um, fallen by the wayside and something that you know we should really striving to be striving to get back? Um, well, I think, yeah, I think there's a place for all kinds of styles yeah. of writing. Actually, I'm interested to know um, who, who the authors are that you've been reading, because uh, I, I, fantasy is only a very small part of my reading these days, so I'm not sure who you, which authors you're talking about. Yeah, well, I'm sort of talking uh, Brandon Sanderson, Lee Battersby, he's a West Australian author. Yeah. Um, very, very easy to read, but... Yeah, you know, it's like it's a second world fantasy, but they've got seven days of the week, twenty four hours in the day, and they refer to everything as Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. They have the same mannerisms as we would expect in a um our very modern settings, but they're they're set back in a um very medieval European style of um second world fantasy. So yeah, okay, well um, no, that's very interesting. It I think um. Right now, I think 20 or 30 years ago, people who write, write like that would have probably, in a lot of cases, they would have been unacceptable because I think that the fantasy readers um, had a sort of a narrow, narrow range of conventions of, of uh, writing. But of course, the world changes. People learn, write differently. Young people write 
differently um, to um, us venerable oldies. I don't consciously write in a particular style, and uh, and having said that, I know that uh, my writing style has changed uh, quite considerably over the years. For instance, uh, the view from the mirror, which as I said started, I began in the in the late nineteen eighties, uh, is is I definitely written in a much in a high, an older high fantasy style. But uh, with each new series, as when I, whenever I finish a fantasy series, I always write something. In the past, I've always written something which was completely different. For instance, after The View from the Mirror, I, I wrote uh, The Last Albatross, the first of my eco-thrillers. And, um, and then I wrote two more while I was doing the, the um, second quartet of, the, of um, Three Worlds, which is called The Well of Echoes. And then I wrote some children's books. And each time I've done that, it's changed the, the way I, I write. So I think my writing is definitely simpler and probably more accessible now than it was um, 20 years ago. But um, I think if I suddenly started writing epic fantasy in a much more uh, informal, perhaps colloquial style, I think I would get a lot of angry uh, emails and Facebook messages from my existing fans who would say, why are you sort of writing this way? Why are you selling out to get so you can't. Yeah. Um, there certainly is a there is a is um, a, a point about accessibility though. Although having said that, you know, some of the big name authors like uh, George R. R. Martin and uh, Terry Goodkind, for example, they they don't they write in a in a fantasy style, some more elevated, some less, but they don't. And and they have tens of they've sold tens of millions of books. So I think. Um, but then, I'm, but then, they're also old writers or older writers. So maybe the you know, the writers of the future fantasy will be in this this direction. It'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see how I'm writing in ten years' time. I, I find it fascinating. Um, just at least having the argument. I guess the next question on my list is, um, what have you got planned um, after? you finished this Tainted Realms trilogy because I've heard that you were planning on getting back into the Three Worlds, um, looking at the aftermath of View from the Mirror. Do you do you plan out a long way? Um, are you one, two, three trilogies ahead or got lots of ideas for stories always bubbling? I In the past, I have... Um I have done a bit of bit of that, and and back like I guess between um, two thousand three and and last year, I often had three or even four different sets of stories on the on the go. I had my uh, my epic my three worlds work, and I also was the, this quartet I wrote for younger readers um, called about Runcible Jones, and then I wrote a, another quartet. For um, those seven-year-olds, called, called Sorcerer's Tower, just little little thin books, so only 80 pages. Then I wrote another quartet of humorous fantasy novels called Grim and Grimmer, which were aimed at sort of say nine to 12, nine to 13-year-olds. So, and and all of those overlapped, and um, so I spent the, most of the last seven or eight years frantically going from one series to another and back again. But I've learned my lesson. I'm now a, a change man, and. Uh, uh, no, I was just do it. Not I was just constantly sort of facing deadline after deadline, and uh, so for the next few years, I'm not writing anything except epic fantasy. 
and the um, the Tainted Realm trilogy will be finished um, probably by well it'll be in its final editing by June next year, and um, and then I am planning to write a series. Uh, which I've been promising since, um, actually since the year 2000, and, um, which is in fact a, a um, I'm not sure it's a direct sequel to uh, The View from the Mirror, but it certainly takes up the story of some of the characters in The View from the Mirror, Karen and Liam, Chad, for instance, um, afterwards, because the, the View from the Mirror, the ending raised a question, um, and the question was that Maygraith, who was... Uh, his sanity could sometimes be questioned. Wanted to breed her her child with Karen's, one of Karen's children to create um, people that had the blood of all four worlds. And that's referred to later in in, um, The Well of Echoes and The Song of the Tears, the the, the, uh, series that come after The View from the Mirror. But they're set hundreds of years in the future. And... um, and there is some rewriting of history there, and not all, not everything that, that was said in there by certain people, including Maygrave, is actually reliable. Um, yes, I plan to write that. It's my most frequently asked question is, when do we get this series? Uh, which I originally was going to call The Fate of the Children. And it's a good title, but um, uh, one of my books in the UK uh, a few years back was called The Fate of the Fallen, so it's, that would make it very confusing to use that title, so I'll have to think of another one. Um, that's what I'm going to write next. Uh, I, it may be a trilogy, it may not, I don't know. I haven't planned it out at all. In fact, I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. So, And I haven't read any of the books from The View from the Mirror since the last one went through editing at the end of 1998. So I don't know, so that's uh, 14 years ago, so I'll have to read all the books familiarise myself, and then but I'm very excited about it, I mean it's a world that I spent so long on in in the beginning of my writing career, and I'm really excited about going back there and finding out what happens, and uh, and telling some great stories Yeah, I'll be looking forward to that I've got one final question here and it's something that we like to ask all of the authors who come on to Fantasy Book Review, and that is can you name three of your favourite or most influential fantasy novels or series right now or growing up or at any point? I can. Um, actually, I, didn't, I never read any fantasy when I was growing up. And I don't know why. I grew up in the 60s, but uh, there was fantasy around. The Hobbit, for instance, I'd never read, never even heard of it. So I didn't read uh, fantasy until I was sort of nearly finished uni. And, then it, and the first fantasy book I read was The Lord of the Rings. And um, that was profoundly influential um, because I, I read The Lord of the Rings and I, and I looked around for something else like to read. And really there wasn't much. There were, I mean, there were you know, the Gormenghast trilogy and various, uh, and Fritz, Fritz Lever's Fackhurd and the Grey Mouser and, and uh, various other things. But there really wasn't anything epic like The Lord of the Rings. And... Um, and the things that people were, said were like were epic, like the Lord of the Rings really weren't. So that was profoundly influential to me because uh, after I'd sort of, as I'd said at the beginning, um, I think before you started recording, that back in those days you could actually read virtually all the fantasy that ever been written. And after I'd read it all, uh, which is like probably five years after I started reading fantasy, um, 
really wasn't much around, and uh, then big fantasies started coming out, like the Sword and the Shore of Shalara and so forth. But they, some of them, but they weren't like the Lord of Rings. So I suppose it was at that stage that I thought, first thought, I would like to write an epic fantasy series. I'm not like the Lord of the Rings, I know because my background is totally different, I couldn't write that way if I wanted to, but to sort of, to tell a story with the same kind of sort of epic scope as the Lord of the Rings. So that, so in a sense that was, uh, even though I've never tried to write, in fact I didn't read Tolkien for 10 years before I started writing, so I, to uh, try and escape being influenced by him, but obviously the, no, that introduction to uh, great fantasy was profoundly influential. And uh, another, my, my um, second one, these are all actually old, old writers because uh, I don't read much fantasy these days. And I think for the same reason as a lot of other fantasy writers don't read much fantasy, it's, it's kind of hard to read in the genre you're writing. And often I find I'm reading a fantasy novel and I'm kind of mentally editing it as I'm going along. And uh, so I read thrillers and and all you know, all kinds of other stuff, but I don't read a huge amount of fantasy. My second my second um, one is um, The Left Hand of Darkness, Darkness by Ursula Le Guin, and you could argue that that's not a fantasy novel, but uh, in fact won the uh, the uh, Hugo and Nebula Awards for science fiction. But um, I kind of think of it as a fantasy novel, and it was, it was again, I was just absolutely blown away, but I would never, I don't, I don't try and write like Ursula Le Guin, I couldn't. In a million years, and my third one is Jack Vance. Um, I particularly think of the Dying Earth, although I've, I've loved nearly all of the dozens of Jack Vance novels that I've read over the uh, over the last three or four decades. And I don't know anybody really who could write like Jack Vance. I would certainly never try. He was one of those rare writers who didn't re- doesn't really matter what's happening in the story because the words he's putting on the site on the page are so beautiful and so interesting so there those are my three well um i think that's uh time for the interview tonight um you can get vengeance and uh rebellion out now in australia um vengeance in the uk i'm not sure if it's out in the u.s yet. yes it is, yeah. it is yeah. out in the u.s and and uh, Rebellion is due out in the UK and the US early next year. Yep, March so, 12th. March 12th. So um, thanks very much um, for giving us some time, Ian. Um, it's been very insightful, and um, hopefully we can speak to you again soon. I enjoyed that, Brian. It's terrific. Thank you very much. That's been uh, great questions. For show notes and links to the music we used by Bart Stoop, please head on over to fantasybookreview.co.uk. You can follow the show on Twitter at FanBooRev and at Facebook at FantasyBookReview. And you can follow Josh and Ryan on Twitter at JoshSPill and RyanL1986. You can, and we hope you will, email the show at blog at FantasyBookReview.co.uk. Music.